Hey everyone, Michelle Seidling here with another episode of Military Transition Wellness, the podcast dedicated exclusively to those transitioning from military service. Today we are talking about transitioning, of course, but listening to your inner voice as you do so and how you can pay attention to that versus the other voices you've paid attention to while in the military. Here to help us do that is Carissa Carbon, a leadership coach and all things listening with your inner voice. And she's going to tell us all about that. Carissa, welcome to the podcast. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be informed as new episodes become available. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. As always, check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some resources as you begin your health journey. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here. So happy to have you here. And leadership coach, super, super important, especially transitioning. My goodness. So will you take a moment to introduce yourself and why the direction of leadership coaching that you've chosen? Absolutely. So a little bit about my background. I'm actually, I have a background in engineering. So I started with a technical background and I was part of a large corporation for close to a decade. And as I got into it, my engineering problems weren't as interesting as the people problems I was facing. <clears throat> and so what was really interesting is I started to notice what an impact my leader had on my work experience. It could make or break the experience I was having. So I started to get curious. I started reading books about leadership, leadership in business, leadership in other domains. And I just really uncovered this passion that I have. I've read a lot of Simon Sinek, who studies uh, military leadership, especially. And now I'm almost finished with my master's in leadership and organizational development, because I really believe that in today's hierarchical society and our culture, especially in Western civilization and here in the U.S., our leaders have tremendous power. And so I really want to be part of what I call a paradigm shift, bringing our heart and our humanness back into leadership and business, or maybe for the first time, because I think that a lot of our practices are somewhat cold and somewhat outdated. And we try to boil everything down to numbers, but as humans, we are messy, we are complex, and we are so much more than simply numbers on a spreadsheet. So I am really passionate about helping leaders and empowering leaders so they can serve and empower their teams and their organizations. Mm -hmm. Super. I love that. I just love just kind of motivating them to be successful in their on their teams and in their business. So fantastic. Now, what was that spark? You mentioned you started off in engineering. What mm -hmm. was that spark that led you to that? It, there, did you have any life experiences or, or something that you kind of moved in that direction? You know, it'll it'll sound really funny, Michelle. I uh, I fell in love with calculus when I was in high school. Uh, I know that's very rare. Uh, people probably give me a second look when they hear that, but I really fell in love with understanding more about how the world works. I'm a very big why person, and so I was drawn to this idea of how does the world work at its most basic components. And then, because I am a, an action oriented person as well engineering seemed like a much better fit than some other theoretical science like physics, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I want to I learn how things work <clears throat> so that I can take action to solve problems. And that's engineering in a nutshell. Okay, fantastic. And that was just kind of a natural flow, it seems, like into leadership and, and leadership development. Oh, I bounced around a lot. I, uh, you know, I used to be jealous of those people who knew at age five what they wanted to be when they grew up. And I spent a long time 
feeling a lot of pain of not knowing what it was, where was my path? What was my purpose? And I thought there was something wrong with me for not knowing that. And so I had, uh, there's an author, Elizabeth Gilbert. She's the famous author of Eat, Pray, Love. But she wrote another book called Big Magic, where she said, instead of following your passion, follow your curiosity. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was a really interesting guideline for me. And so I started noticing, where does my mind go when I'm in the shower, when I'm driving to work? What types of books am I listening to? And when I really started to look at that, everything was around leadership. So even professionally, I went from engineering to operations to training and onboarding to enablement to customer success. I've done a lot of different things in my career as my day job, but the theme underlying all of it is a passion for leading and serving. Mm, Fantastic. Now, on that note, will you tell us about that leading and serving and how, where does your inner voice play into all of this? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I spent so much of my life checking those boxes. You know, I really bought into this idea as I was growing up that if I checked all the right boxes, if I did everything I was quote unquote supposed to do, then I would be happy. I got the college degree. I got married very young at 22. I had the house, the car, you know, sort of all the trappings of the American dream. And then I was miserable. And I said, wait a second. I thought this was supposed to be the path to happiness. And so through that difficult time of my life, I got divorced. I left a PhD program. And I really started to say, you know what? Maybe what everybody tells me I'm supposed to do to be happy isn't really what's going to work for me. Maybe if I listen to my own inner voice, maybe that's going to be a more promising path to my own fulfillment and happiness. So that all that happened a decade ago, actually. And so for the last decade, I've been on this journey of learning to listen to that inner voice, trusting my intuition, following those curiosities and those passions. And my life now doesn't look anything like what I thought it would, but I'm incredibly happy and fulfilled and I, I couldn't be more grateful. Mm, okay. So why, why do you think that you were unhappy to begin with? You know, I think that this whole idea of the one size fits all approach doesn't work. You know, as humans, we each have a very unique lived experience. We each have our own fears, our doubts, our desires that all come from within us. And when we abandon what is true to ourselves in order to pursue what our parents tell us to do, what let's say the military told us to do, or what society is telling us to do, oftentimes there becomes this gap between the life we're living and the life we're meant to live. And the larger that gap is, I find the more unhappy we are. Mm, Okay. Now, did it take some time? You mentioned there were a lot of changes once you decided you were unhappy. And did it take quite some time before you really felt fulfilled, like you've really, you're living your passion now? You know, that's a great question. I would say for me personally, knowing that I'm taking action really helps. So for me, it wasn't that I, and to to this day, there's no outcome for me. There's no destination. There's no finish line for fulfillment. And I think that's another unfortunate uh, conditioning that we are taught is that happiness is a destination that once we get there, we'll always be there. Right. And I think that actually created a lot of unhappiness for me, thinking that it was going to be static, that once I achieved it, once I checked that box, I was done, I'm good. And so for me, taking action and simultaneously embracing the fact that life is meant to be ups and downs. There are hardships, there are good times and bad times. And it's through the adversity, it's through the challenge that I really learn and I grow. And that is actually what fuels and signals to me where I should go next. So for me, I am learning to embrace 
all of what life has to offer, not just the good parts, not just the parts I want, uh, learning to surrender to the flow of life. And so for me to answer your question, it definitely took some time. I mean, a decade ago going through a divorce, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but I also wouldn't wish staying in the wrong marriage on anyone. And so that was very hard. It took some time to heal from that, to process all of those experiences, to really figure out my next steps. But knowing that I was on the path and knowing that for the first time in my life, I was really listening to my own inner voice and what I wanted, that was enough to to start the happiness, if you will. Mm, Okay. Now, what does all of this mean for those transitioning from military service? Yeah, I've done a lot of work with veterans uh, in large tech corporations. And one of the things I find is it can be really hard to transition coming from an environment where you are essentially expected to only be reactive, right? You're expected to follow orders. Don't think for yourself necessarily. And I know things are changing. The culture in the military is changing. So hopefully it's not quite as command and control in every single unit. But I think if we could use a broad brushstroke to sort of paint the military, it is very hierarchical. You know, it is very authoritative. And so I think transitioning out when growing up in school, we're told exactly what to do, when to do it, where to be, how to be. You go into the military. Oftentimes, if you're like my husband, he went into the military straight out of high school. And so with continuing that path of being told what to do, I've seen a lot of veterans transition out of the military and feel lost because they're like, oh my gosh, I don't have anyone telling me what to do, where to be, how to do it. What do I do now? And so it can kind of create this, this big opening in their lives. But in order to not feel as lost, I encourage people to just start asking yourself those questions. Well, what is it that I want? Why do I want it? You know, what is it that's driving this motivation? Is it because I'm supposed to, again, quote unquote, what I'm told I'm supposed to do, or is it because it's something I really want? And so that's where I coach a lot of people, especially leaders, to listen to that inner voice. Because as we learn to listen to that, as we learn to trust the intuition, as we learn to surrender to that flow, that's where I think we can find fulfillment, happiness, our own intrinsic motivation. And what I've found is that the people in our lives benefit tremendously when we have the courage to go inward and start doing this inner work. Because when we don't do this work, as I mentioned earlier, when there is a gap between the life we're living and what we're meant to do or how we're meant to be, that's where we can often react. We might get triggered. We might snap at people. We might be short with people or rude with people. And then after the fact, we kind of beat ourselves up saying, well, gosh, why was I so rude to my spouse or my kids or what's going on? Why was, why did I get triggered? Why was I just so reactive in that moment? And so as we start to get curious, not just about what we want to do with our lives or our career, but we start to ask ourselves, well, why am I showing up this way? Was it an experience that I had in childhood that I just got triggered by that reminded me of that experience where I felt unsafe or I felt unheard. And so I think that's where our uh, the, the next frontier, in my opinion, is going inward in, in exploring our own inner worlds because we don't have the tools or the culture to do that today. Okay. Now, will you give us some examples? What are you seeing in, in terms of the, the military, those transitioning as far as that kind of struggle that they're having to find their inner voice, to, to find a new direction? Sure. You know, I've, I've worked with some folks, especially in the tech sector, where they come out of the military and, you know, maybe they did a little bit of IT work in the military. So they come out and they say, well, I guess I should go get certificates, right? I should study for certifications. They get Security Plus and, you know, CCNA for Cisco and all of these different uh, certifications. 
because they think they have to, or they should, or that's the way to have a, a successful career, if you will. And then they come into that tech career, which looks vastly different than what they were doing in the military. And they say, wait a second, this isn't what I expected. I didn't really know what I wanted. And now I've kind of ended up in the situation where I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled, but now I don't know where to go. So just kind of feeling stuck is what I've seen a lot. Um, and so getting unstuck can be a big challenge. Mm, okay. So that kind of beckons the question, how do you get unstuck? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. You know, as a coach, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, I think hiring a coach is a great way to get unstuck. You know, oftentimes people say, get a mentor, get a coach, get a therapist. I advocate, get all three. <laughs> you know, I think there's a different perspective. We can learn from peer mentors. We can learn from peer coaches. We can find people we aspire to be more like or that we look up to. But what I think is really important is to find someone who is not trying to push their agenda on you. Because I think oftentimes with mentoring, and it really comes from a good place, right? A lot of mentors want to help people to be successful. And what I've seen is, unfortunately, because they're using their own experiences to guide other people, they say, well, why don't you do this? Or you should do that instead of asking those questions. So that's why I love coaching. It's really about questions. It's not about answers. So when someone comes to me and they tell me I'm stuck, I don't say, well, here's X, Y, Z steps to get unstuck. I say, what's making you feel stuck? How long have you felt this way? Are there areas of your life where you feel excited, you feel motivated, you feel engaged. We look for those bright spots. And then we kind of pull on these threads and then they magically, they can get unstuck because they're willing to go inward. They're willing to answer what can be oftentimes challenging questions, especially if it's new territory. And then really importantly, taking action. So I think it's curiosity, it's courage, it's learning, and then taking action. Because if we just learn, if we just navel gaze, we're never going to get unstuck. So there is an, uh, an element of taking action that needs to happen as well. Mm, okay. Now, what are, you mentioned that there were just asking yourself different questions and so forth. What questions are really resonate in terms, especially with uh, military transitioners? You know, I think the best, most simple question that is the easiest to remember is why. Anytime something happens, why did that happen? Why did I react that way? Why do I feel this way about something? Why do I believe that this is the path I'm supposed to take? And oftentimes we just, especially in, I'll, I'll speak to U.S. culture specifically, we're often pre-pandemic going so fast, going nonstop, we don't even give ourselves the space or the time to ask those questions. It's, I don't have time for that. I've got to go. I've got to get things done. I've got to be productive. And so I think creating some space is really important, slowing down, you know, and also taking the pressure off. I think there's a lot of pressure that we can put on ourselves to figure out the right answer right away. I need to figure out my path right now. And that's going to be my career path or my spouse or whatever it is for the rest of my life. We, we tend to think in very long, absolute terms. And so I encourage a lot of my clients, and I think especially transitioning out of the military, if, especially if you went into the military right out of high school, right, and you haven't really been in the workforce, take some pressure off yourself. That next job doesn't need to be the perfect job, doesn't need to be the ideal job. If we look at these experiences as learning opportunities. And we say, okay, you know what? I'm curious about cybersecurity. I'm going to go play in that area and I'm going to learn more and I'm going to gain some experience. And then just as I did in my path, 
then another curiosity spark happens. And I kind of follow that curiosity spark. And my path has been really weaving, but I've taken a lot from every single experience that I've had. It's taught me more about myself. It's taught me more about the life that I want to live, how I want to serve in the world. And so I don't think there's a one size fits all. And I don't think there's a one path forever approach either. I think it's really about looking at life as an experiment and as a journey. Mm, Okay. Now, in terms of that path, you know, you're on a given path, you feel like, okay, maybe I need to go elsewhere. How, how are there some cues to Mm -hmm. kind of alert you? Hey, well, maybe I should consider shifting paths or shifting something in my life. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I really encourage and I work with my clients on is before making a shift, try to look at your perspective because oftentimes the only shift we need isn't necessarily a big shift in our job or a big shift in geographic location. It can simply be a shift in perspective. And what I mean by that is, let's say I'm I'm working in a job and it feels like I'm just doing a, I'm just completing tasks in a spreadsheet, let's say, and I feel really bored. And so I notice that every morning I kind of dread doing my work. I am dragging, I'm looking for excuses to procrastinate my work tasks I'm looking for opportunities to take time off, whatever that is. So instead of just jumping into another job, I think it's really important to get curious for a couple of reasons. One, because we may not need to make a dramatic shift. It may just be that tweak in mindset. But then two, if ultimately it is a shift that needs to happen, now you can do so in a more informed way. If I simply run away from the monotony of the job that I have, but I don't understand why it's draining me, what else I'd rather be doing, then it's very likely I'm going to jump into a situation that looks very similar to the one that I just left. Mm. And so I think it's really important to ask again, you know, I'm big on those questions, right? Well, what's, what is it about this task that's demotivating me? And oftentimes when we start to unpack that, it might not even be the task itself. It might be your relationship with your leader. Maybe you don't feel you're being recognized for the work that you're putting in. Maybe you don't feel that the work you're doing is connected to something bigger than yourself. There could be a whole host of reasons why you're not happy in your current position. So I I think it's really important to get curious, ask yourself those questions. And then typically what I do before I make any shift, and I encourage my clients to do as well, is come up with an action plan to stay. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, you know, I'll set a timeline for myself and I'll say, okay, I understand why I'm unhappy and I understand what it might take to make me happier. So let me devise three to five steps I can take and I'll set a timeline for myself. I'll say for the next 60 days, I'm going to commit to taking these three to five action steps that I think could improve my current situation. And at the end of 60 days, I check in. Did it work? Am I happier? Do I have a different perspective? Am I feeling more fulfilled? Has my relationship with my leader improved or any of those things? And if at the end of that timeline, the answer is no, then I know that it's time to start making that shift. And the great thing about that is I do it without regret. Because I know that I did everything in my power to make that situation better and it didn't work. So now that's a signal that it's time to shift and start looking for something different. But now I have all of this information and all of this data from my experiment that I ran to inform, well, what worked? What didn't work? What is it that I liked? What don't I like? And so the more informed we can become about our own preferences and our own desires, the better we can get at honing in on what is that path that we really want. Mm. Okay. Now for you, as you made different choices in your life or transitions, did you kind of, you know, take a step back and did some introspection? What was that, that process and what was that transformation like for you? 
You know, I've worked with a lot of coaches uh, over my career. That was part of what got me into coaching, you know, seeing the power of coaching and how, how transformational it has been in my life. And so I think I, you know, when it comes to introspection, I was intimidated at first. I thought, well, this is scary. There's no roadmap. You know, as an engineer, I was very much, okay, here are my boxes to check. Here are the steps to follow, the process I need. And so diving into this introspection and this inner work, it's kind of uncharted territory, right? Because every single one of us is completely unique. There's no, there's no roadmap, but there can be a guide. And so a metaphor that I use with my clients is if we're on a road trip together, my clients are in the driver's seat but I can be in the passenger seat. So I can't do the driving for you. I can't solve it. I can't take you to where you need to go. Only you can do that for yourself, but I can be in the passenger seat having been down that journey and saying, you know, I took a left up here and that really worked out for me. If that sounds good, you might want to try that. Or, well, why do you want to take that road? Or why do you want to take that path? And so it just becomes a container, if you will, to have that exploration. So for me, coaching has been really tremendous. Also, just having a support system. You know, I have been in relationships, let's say, where my partner didn't really care about my intrinsic happiness and fulfillment. All they cared about was, well, you have to get a paycheck, you have to get a job. And that can be really, really tough to create that space for introspection and exploration if you don't have people around you who are supporting that. So I think first and foremost, it's really important to look at the people in your life. There's the quote, I forget who said it that we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. So I encourage you to, to look at your life and who you're spending time with. Are these people that you're with most often, are they the type of people that you want to be? Do you aspire to be more like them? Do they inspire you to be better, to be happy, to be fulfilled? Or are you surrounded by people who would rather sit around and complain all the time and not take action and they're not committed to being happy themselves or to supporting other people on that journey to happiness. So I think making sure you have the right support system is really, really critical for doing this work. Mm, okay. Now, do you have some examples of some clients or others that you've worked with who are, have made, have really gone through that, that transition process? Yes. Gosh, yes. Uh, so many. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked with folks who, you know, they've come to me and they've said, okay, well, I'm ready. I transitioned out of the military and, you know, I was, I've been in the military for 20 years. So I expect to come in at X level in a company. And we've kind of worked through a lot of those conversations of expectations, what should happen, what's supposed to happen. And as we've done that work, they've said, you know what, actually, I don't even want to go into that company. I don't even want to go into that industry. I've always secretly had this passion for poetry. And that wasn't, that wasn't, uh, you know, cultivated or encouraged in the military. And so whether it's a career transition or even just a hobby cultivation, I've seen a lot of people, for lack of a better term, really come alive through that transformation process. Mm, okay. Now they just kind of, kind of finding your inner voice with whether it's a career change or whether it's a hobby or some other thing. Yeah, you know, I think we all have that inner voice. It's just a question of how long and how hard we've been repressing it. You know, our parents often teach us, I know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. And so we can be conditioned from a very early age, which can be incredibly, it can shape who we are, right? Those stories that we tell ourselves and those beliefs about who we are. And so a lot of it isn't just figuring out a path. A lot of it can also be, understanding, well, why do you get so down on yourself? Why are you so hard on yourself? Why do you feel you have to be perfect? 
And so in unpacking some of that conditioning and some of those beliefs that people have about themselves or about the world, they start to, here's a perfect example. A client of mine, I helped him transition out of the military, transitioned into a tech career. And this is somewhat unrelated to specific career transition, but I think it's a really great example. He said, you know, I really want to be someone who trusts people. When I first meet people, I want to trust them. But what I notice is that I'm I'm immediately on the defensive when I meet new people. I'm looking for reasons to not trust them, that they're not what they say they are or that they're not as good as they think they are. And I really don't like that because it makes me feel like I'm I'm being cynical or I'm not giving people a chance. And he was like, but that's just who I am, you know, and, and I don't know how to change it. And so we started doing this work and we started getting curious. And it turns out that a lot of that paradigm that he was living in came from the fact that his dad has le- had left his family at a young age. And his dad had continuously said, I'm going to come back. I'll be there for your birthday, you know, had made all of these empty promises that unfortunately he didn't follow through with. And so this client, he had adopted this kind of belief and this story in his mind that you can't trust people because he had this experience where he'd been incredibly betrayed and let down early on in his life. And so as a defense mechanism for survival, he kind of put up this wall that says, don't trust people always be on the defensive. Otherwise you're going to get hurt. And when we uncovered that that was the root cause of this belief, I'm probably going to get emotional just saying it. He broke down in tears and he said, wow, for the first time, I actually have hope that I'm not just this way. This isn't just who I am. I I can change this about myself. And then he noticed how a lot of his relationships in his life became better. It became more fulfilling, more trusting, not because of anything anybody else was doing, but because of his own inner work and his orientation towards them. And he has since uh, created new opportunities in his career. He's moved into leadership and a lot of things have sort of, a lot of those obstacles have fallen away because he went back and healed the root cause of that belief. Mm, I love that. I just, that really, once you heal the root cause, it really seems to transform you and, and make you, you know, not have, not have to face these different obstacles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that the way I think about a lot of the healing work is not, it's okay. I'm healed. I'm done. I'm good. Uh, I think a lot of these beliefs, especially the ones deeply rooted in our subconscious and into our nervous system, they can be really tough. You know, one, the image that I like to use is uh, if you've ever been camping and when you're setting up your tent and you kind of like pound your stake into the ground, so it's more solid. A lot of times these, these traumas and these triggers that we have, I like to think of them as those tent stakes where depending on how hard they were beaten into the ground, they can be really tough to get out. Sometimes it's loose, you know, it's a minor thing. It's something small. You can just pull it out of the loose dirt. Other times you have to work at it. You have to, you know, maybe take a break, come back to it because you're exhausted. Um, So that's kind of the image that I like to use is that as we start to heal, we can really loosen those tent stakes. But if we simply go through our lives, ignoring those tent stakes and leaving them firmly planted in the ground, then it's really, really hard to move forward or to change your tent, your camping site. Let's continue the metaphor. Uh, It can be really hard if you want to move your tent to a different site, meaning you want to be different in your life. You want to show up differently. You want to be more loving. You want to be more trusting, whatever it is. You can't move your campsite if you don't take a look at those tent stakes and start pulling them out of the ground. So it's not necessarily easy. It's not necessarily linear, but it can be incredibly transformational. And I, speaking of my own personal experience, very much worth it. Mm, Okay. Now, is it different in as far as the corporate aspect of it versus other aspects of of transitioning? You'd be more specific in what you mean? 
Um, well, you mentioned a lot of times when when transitioners go go into into corporate life, there's mm. there's just kind of that struggle, I guess, to find your inner voice, uh, as yes. you put it. So, will you tell us a little bit about that? Is there is that more of a unique situation, or is that kind of a an extension of what we've been talking about? You know, I think it's so interesting. I think everywhere we turn, people are trying to tell us what to do. <laughs> But sometimes people aren't as explicit. So in my experience working with veterans, the military can be very explicit. Go here, do this, do it this way. And there's this roadmap that's laid out before you. And what's interesting, as I've worked with transitioning military into the corporate setting, there are still those expectations, but oftentimes they're sort of unstated. Mm -hmm. And so that can be really hard when we're not, we haven't cultivated, you know, this inner voice. We go from okay, I'm told what to do to I'm not being told what to do, but something's not right here. And so a perfect example um, that I, I shared with you and I'll share here too is I've had managers come to me after I've worked with the veterans, I've trained them, they've deployed onto their permanent teams. A manager has come to me and said, you know, I have, I have someone on my team who came from your program. They've been on my team for a month and they haven't set up a one-on-one with me. And I asked them, okay, okay. Did you, did you let them know that they should set up a one-on-one with you? Well, no, they should just know that. How should they know that, right? And so I think that's, uh, oftentimes it can be tricky for people who, let's say their entire career has been in a corporation, which means that they've often risen to some level of leadership at that point of their career, they don't know any different, right? So if someone has spent their whole career in corporate, a lot of the expectations, the norms, the culture, it's like, the, it's like a fish swimming in water right? And a fish doesn't necessarily know they're swimming in water because it's just the water they've always known. And so it can be really hard if we're only listening to those external demands and norms and expectations, we can get back into that situation that I spoke of earlier with that gap where it's like, wait a second, I don't know what to do, but no one's telling me what to do. So now I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling stuck again. I thought moving into this, you know, this transition was going to make me happy. I was excited for a change, whatever it is. And so that's another uh, one reason that I think learning to listen to our inner voice is important, no matter where we are, military, corporate, freelance, entrepreneur, no matter what, it's so important for us to listen to that inner voice because, you know, that leader, they were dealing with their own insecurities. You know, they maybe weren't as comfortable working with veterans who had come out of the military. So they didn't know how to have those conversations, how to communicate, you know, consciously and kindly. So a lot of things go unsaid. And I believe that that is one of the worst things we can do for ourselves and for each other is to leave these things unsaid. So I say, let's get things on the table. And part of listening to that inner voice is also developing a sense of inner competence and authenticity. So as I've cultivated that authenticity, I'm more comfortable being vulnerable, putting myself out there saying, hey, I don't know if I'm right here, but here's what I'm thinking. Am I going on the right direction? What do you think? I'm more likely to speak up and to use my voice because I've cultivated that sense of inner confidence. Mm, okay. Now on that note, for those transitioning from military service or even thinking about it, where do you start? What's the, what are the uh, things to focus on? You know, there are a lot of uh, transition supports for military uh, members. You know, you can go on base. There's usually a career transition uh, support site. Highly recommend starting there. I think there are a lot of great resources. I just encourage people not to only go there because I think that 
those are great resources, but it's not everything. So one thing that I really encourage people to do, and I love to do myself, are informational interviews. Are you familiar with that concept? I don't know if you've talked about that before. I am, but will you okay. share or will you kind of re-familiarize sure. us with that? Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So an informational interview, I love because it really takes the pressure. It's not a formal interview. It's really just a conversation with someone to learn more about what they do. So as you're transitioning out of the military, whether you're thinking about corporate or manufacturing or any domain, there are so many positions out there, so many different types of companies even looking at one company, there can be a thousand different types of jobs to do. And we don't know what we don't know. So I encourage people to reach out, whether maybe start with someone you know, someone who's transitioned out of the military before you, and they're doing something that maybe it doesn't sound incredibly like your passion, but you're curious. So you ask them, hey, can I buy you coffee? Can I buy you lunch? Or maybe just set up a Zoom, you know, a 30-minute Zoom call and uh, ask questions about what's your day-to-day like? What do you love about your culture? What do you love about your job? What do you not love about it, right? And what I find is that people are, one, people love to talk about themselves. (laughs) So most of the time I hear people who say, I don't want to bother people. I don't want to take up their time. They're busy. I almost, almost never have I been turned down for an informational interview because people are so excited to, one, talk about themselves, but also to help, you know, especially when it comes to transitioning military members. I know so many people who really, really want to help people who have served in our military. There's an extreme debt of gratitude there. Thank you for your service. Thank you for protecting our country. I would love to help you any way I can. So informational interviews can be really great. And what I do is I I encourage people to, the last question in an informational interview is something like this. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. You've said X, Y, Z that really resonated. Based on our conversation, can you recommend one to two other people that I should speak with? Mm -hmm. Because this is a really beautiful way to create a warm handoff. So you're not doing cold calls on LinkedIn all of the time. Mm -hmm. So I really love the informational interview framework because here comes my my engineering background, right? I love data. I just love collecting information. And then I can make the best decision for myself based on all of the information I've collected. So I think starting with your career support center at your base or wherever you are, informational interviews, you know, maybe start, reach out to me at the end of this uh, episode. And I would love to do an informational interview with you and point you to people. I love connecting. I'm a super connector. I'm connected with a lot of veterans. I'm connected with a lot of people in the corporate uh, sphere. So please reach out to me. And this is, this could be your first informational interview. Um, And then making sure you have that support around you. I think all of those things are really important. Sure. And I'm presuming it's not just for a certain job. It's basically all aspects of wellness, all aspects of your life, essentially. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. You know, the day-to-day job is one facet that I think we put a lot of emphasis on, you know, what tasks will I be completing and do I want to complete those tasks? But there's so much more that goes into creating our happiness, whether it's work-life balance, right? Asking questions about the culture. Are you expected to work 80 hours a week? Are you expected to always be on, on the weekends? You know, asking quite asking the tough questions of your leader, you know, what's your leadership style? How do you develop people who report to you? I think all of these things can be really important because our relationship with our leader, people, you know, we say people don't leave companies, they leave managers. So -hmm. that's really important. Your relationships with your colleagues and your team members, the work that you're doing. Are you remote? Are you on site? Are you hybrid these days? These are really important questions to ask. And so I think before going into formal interviews, let's say you've completed all of these informational interviews, you've started, you know, taking notes of what sounds most interesting, you started getting curious about your inner world. I often encourage people to, make kind of this list of what is your ideal position? 
And one exercise that I'll, I'll point out, um, if you take a piece of paper and you flip it on its side, so it's landscape and you draw two lines, so it's divided into three sections, there's this exercise that I love called get, give, avoid. So in the first column, you it's the get column. So you write down all the things you want to get from a job. You obviously paid, right? We want, we all want to get paid from the job, but maybe you put your salary desire in there. Uh, you put, you want to get uh, ed- continuing education, right? Maybe you want to use your, your GI bill and go get a degree. And so you want to get, uh, you know, support to go continue your education. You want to get certain skills that you want to learn. That's the, that's the first column. The second column is called give. What do you want to give? What skills do you have? What passions do you know about that you really want to contribute to the role? You know, maybe it's, yes, there's the job, but in addition to working at a job, I love to connect with my teammates. So almost everywhere I go, I bring this aspect of a social club. You know, we get together monthly, we watch movies, we have happy hours, we do trivia. That's something that I love to give to a role. And then the last column is avoid. This shouldn't be just the things that annoy you. The avoid column should be your true deal breakers. And I think it's really important to think about those deal breakers because when we're in an interview, the interview process, oh my gosh, it is so tough. You know, there's this idea of like, please pick me, please tell me you want me, you know, and especially with the financial aspect, there can often be a lot of pressure we put on ourselves. We have to do well in the interview. We have to get the job because we have to provide for our families. But it is a two-way conversation, right? You want to make sure that it's the right fit for you as well. So I think the avoid column is really, really important because in a clear-headed space, thinking of those things that would make you miserable, things that would make you want to run away from a job, maybe pulling from your past experiences, the things that really drained you, the things you didn't like. Because then, let's say you get the job offer. Let's say it checks seven out of 10 of your boxes that you really want. But then there are a couple of those deal breakers from your avoid column. Then it really helps you make a better decision of whether or not you want to take that job. If, if there's anything from your avoid column that you know in the interview process is going to show up in that job, I strongly encourage you to think twice about taking the job because so often we can end up in situations where that inner voice, that gut, that intuition kind of signaled to us, Ooh, I don't know if this is the right fit, but it pays well, or I need the job right now or whatever it is. And then we end up creating this loop, this pattern of ending up in situations that aren't great for us. Okay. I love that. I just love the whole focus on the passion, the personal empowerment, the real kind of road to happiness and that process that it's just, you know, a lifelong process, not, not a destination per se. Fantastic. Well, Carissa, how can people get in contact with you? You know, I, if you can spell my name, it shouldn't be too hard. It, the spelling of my name is usually the biggest challenge that people have. Uh, but my website is carissacarbon.com. I'm on LinkedIn at Carissa Carbon. Again, I'd love to connect with you. So please reach out, connect with me. I'd love to do an informational interview if I can help you in any way. Um, so I think those are the best options, just my website or LinkedIn. I'm pretty uh, connected. I'm pretty on. So I'm easy to find. Fantastic. We will include all those things in the show notes. Carissa, it's been amazing. I love your drive to really help people get to the root cause and then really bring out those passions. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's been such a blast and I'm so honored and grateful. Thank you very much.